Good evening. I'm so glad to be here at Northwest Church on Saturday night at 5 p.m. And so are you. I wanted to say to you guys that we already have, I think it's over 120 men signed up, registered for our men's camp. And we are praying now. We were, I pr- last week I prayed for 120. I know numbers don't matter, but I just want to tell you what I did. <laughs> prayed for 120, and now we're there. So now we have to pray for 165. Because <laughs> I, come on, Jeff, I heard that 165 was kind of like the high. So I was like, I want 165 guys to be with us next week at men's camp. That would be, that would be fantastic. My birthday's coming up. Birthday present, 165 guys. Okay, um, I take other things for birthday presents too. I just want you to know. I, I don't. That's not all you got to do. But no, you don't. I'm really excited for um, for our weekend services. I've been looking forward to this for the last uh, couple days. I wanted to share with you before we open the word together. By the way, if you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter seven. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter seven. I wanted just to share for a moment about. Transition, And I really thought about, should I do like a questions and answers with Pastor Ben after the services just to be able to answer questions and share my heart? Uh, and I decided not to do that yet. I think we might do that in the future. I don't, I don't really know right now, but I think everything's been going awesome. But you know, the thing about transition, this is week number six, and as the new lead pastor here, I think what's in the air whenever transition happens is people get concerned about change. What's going to happen? What's going to change, right? And I wanted just to be, can I shoot it straight with you? Okay, because that's really, I only have one speed right there. It's just (laughs) straight up. So I wanted just to let you know, I don't have like this personal ambition to, when I got to a a lead pastor, I was going to do all these different things. What I believed when I came into this assignment as I transitioned from from Pastor Steve Schell to me was that I needed to learn the congregation. I needed to learn the ministries. I needed to appreciate what God had been doing here in order to lead what is here. I I knew that. I I knew I had to learn, and I had to love. And that just takes time. It takes time to know me. It takes time to know you. It takes time to know what God's been doing. And I believe God's given me a sovereign, almost immediate and instantaneous love for for the ministry here, for the people at Northwest Church. That's, that's That's a God thing. That's a God thing. And and I, I have genuine enthusiasm. I would call it spirit-filled enthusiasm. And I can't help it. It's going to come out of me. It's uncontainable. But changes will come. I want to be very clear about that. Changes will come. Things will make adjustments. What I want you to know is I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. I pray every day for our church. I pray every day for our staff. Every single day. I don't miss a day. I'm even leading our children to pray this, the same thing. It's to, for our lives, for our marriages, for our homes, for our hearts, for our jobs, for what God has called us to do, and what he's called us to do together. This is my part of my assignment, and I'm faithful to that. I, I want to stand before God on behalf of our church, and I pray that we all do this together. And as I do that, I believe the Holy Spirit will lead me, and he'll speak to me. And I'm not leading alone. I'm leading with a great team of people and, and all of you. And so anytime you have questions, thoughts, considerations, every week somebody will share something that, they, that they're thinking about that maybe is a little different. Usually it's because I forgot something or I missed something. Um, you're welcome to do that. I want to be totally 100% accessible to, to God's church. 
feel free to share with me. Feel free to email me. My email is pastorcraig at nwc. <laughs> Come on. You didn't think that was coming, did you? But I want you to feel free to, sh- to share with me because we're all in this together, amen? We are in this together. As changes come, I believe what the Lord will do is he'll, he'll ask more of our hearts. As I lead, as I, as I wear the coat and he speaks to me and I bring stuff to our church, I want to lead 20 years here. And when you start to lead somewhere and you think, I'm going to be here in 20 years, you just think differently. I don't want to do anything quickly. I don't want to do anything for show. I want us to move into the future and see everything fulfilled that is in God's heart. Some things from the past are just what God had done, and, and maybe they won't continue. I, I don't know. I don't have any agenda. I just know my agenda is to listen to the Lord. And so what I would ask of you is please pray for me, pray for our team, pray for our church. And when changes come and you have any questions and you're not able to welcome them right away, just ask. Amen? Just ask. Let's talk to people. And I have this scripture that the Lord put in my heart when I transitioned here and I did fail to share it with all of you. So let me share it with you right now. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. And I believe this was the heart of the Lord for me and I believe it's for us. And the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesian church, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle and be patient, bearing with one another in love. That word bearing with one another in love, that's not a simple thing. And then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. This is an interesting passage to me. There will be efforts that we put forward to keep the unity of the Spirit here. Did you know that? Sometimes when change comes, the smile isn't as big as it once was. Pastor Ben, what about it will happen? But the the Apostle Paul, I believe, from the Holy Spirit says to us, make every effort. Because what the Holy Spirit wants to do with us together is going to require our hearts to be unified. It's going to require our hearts to be unified. The enemy's world, that what he does, his tactic is division. 100%. He loves it when we're torn down, when we dislike each other, when we talk bad about each other. He loves that. He thrives on it. He feeds on it. And we just don't want to let him have a a foothold whatsoever in the future of our church. I'm not saying this in response to anything. I'm saying this as I look forward prophetically. Make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that produces unity, and we're the ones that preserve the unity. Let's keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Will you commit as a church to walk through the changes? See, this is beautiful. I love it. I love it. Holy Spirit, lead us. We've been in a sermon series called Possessing the Heart of Christ, and my heart in this has been to stir us and to provoke us toward a greater desire to be like Jesus and his way of life. And I'm going to be sharing with you out of Matthew chapter 7, my title, as you'll see on your notes, is called Relinquishing a Judgmental Heart. Everybody say it's going to get deep. Oh, it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. And I just pray, Lord, that you would spark something in each one of us. We really do want to be more like you, and we need your word to help us. Give us a set a trajectory, set a standard for our life that as we look to you, as we look to you as our standard in your word, we find the grace that we need to reach up in 
and begin to be more like you. And so today, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be full of love. We want to be full of your love. And we don't want to be people that are just judging everyone else with a critical spirit. And I pray you would speak to our hearts about that as we open your word together. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And God's people said, amen, amen. amen. On your, in your program, you'll notice that you had some teaching notes in the middle of that. As you came in, you received a program. And I'm going to read the introduction that's written right at the top. And here's what it says. Christians are incredibly judgmental, right? Uh, the, the grumble went forth. At least that's the prevailing cultural narrative regarding the church and those who call themselves Christians. In fact, this perspective has become so popular that I regularly hear the statement come out of those who profess to be Christians themselves. While there certainly is some truth to this, I think the greater truth is that most people, and let me just say all people, struggle with being judgmental toward others regardless of what they believe. Would you agree with that? This is not just the church's problem. This is a people problem. This is a human being problem. As we read the Bible, we can clearly see that Jesus regularly engaged people that others would often judge, criticize, and ostracize. That isn't to say that Jesus somehow thought sin didn't matter, but his nature was such that he didn't view the identity of a person through the sins of their past. That statement right there we're going to come to many times. He did not view the identity of a person through the sins of their past. Jesus did not initially come to judge us in our sin because his purpose was to save us from it, which is why his heart is always predisposed towards mercy, grace, and love. In fact, I got this from the Bible. This is not just Ben's thoughts. We all know John 3, 16, but does anybody remember John 3, 17? For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's not the only time that it says that about the Son of God. As followers of Christ who are on mission with him, we should want the same heart toward people that was clearly displayed through the words and the actions of Jesus. For that to be our reality, we must realize that judgmentalism will hijack our clearest and most important goal of bringing the reality and redemption of Jesus to those who need it the most. Therefore, we must relinquish, let go of, abandon our judgmental hearts by choosing to abandon a critical spirit and fault-finding attitude. It is time for us to become love-mental. Yes, I made that word up. <laughs> and not judgmental. You can quote me on that. That's my word. I made it up. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, I love you. That might have created a little awkwardness there. I, I understand that. But it felt good, didn't it? It felt real good. Somebody just got blessed in that little act of obedience. I really do think we need to go back to saying, I love you with a smile on our face. That's who Christians are. We carry God's love. I'm going to open with you Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. And we're going to go through this very well-known passage of Scripture. And I hope to bring some clarity to you tonight from it. And this is what Jesus says in verse 1, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And usually we park right there, don't we? Don't judge me, lest you be judged. But wait, there's more. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? 
You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is God's word. This passage is found toward the end of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. We see this in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And there's zero doubt in my mind that Jesus is setting a trajectory for his disciples to be able to follow him in the same way that he behaved, the same way that he acted. He's giving a correction at the same time to the religious leaders that no doubt practiced judging people like it was the fruit of the Spirit. And we must remember that in the prior chapters, Jesus taught very clearly about specific spiritual practices. Things like giving and praying and fasting, our relationship to money, and he talked about trusting God as well. These were all of the things that Jesus talked about, very much so the doings, the things we should do. And in this passage, he shifts the conversation from how we need to see people. Isn't it interesting? This is how we ought to be, and now this is how we ought to see. It's a very important passage as he transitions here. It might be that this passage, in particular, verse 1, is the most well-known scripture by both believers and non-believers alike. Do not judge lest you be judged. I mean, there's all kinds of... I I was going to get a t-shirt that said, only God can judge me in Tupac. You know, I don't know if you (laughs) know who that is, but... Which is kind of a scary thing to say. Only God can judge me. You're right about that. But that, we say that like as if, uh, well, I'm going to get to that later. But I can hardly think of a passage that is more widely misquoted or misunderstood than this one. And in order for us to better understand it, I want to share with you a, a couple different things. I'm going to walk us through why it is that we are judgmental, the sources of a judgmental heart. I'm also going to talk to you about the pathway out of it. But before I do that, let me share with you the complexity of this issue of judgment because it's not really simple. At face value, the passage does not seem to state clearly what, what we need to know about judgment. There's, there's some clarification that's needed here. The word judge, is the, it's a Greek word, and it really means several different things. But in particular, it means to divide, separate, to cut into two. And in this particular meaning, it means to pronounce a judicial sentence of guilt or condemnation. Two things that Jesus said in this passage as it relates to judging. And the first one is Jesus said, do not judge. He said, do not do this thing. He's not forbidding us from discerning right from wrong. He is not forbidding us from evaluating behavior where it is absolutely necessary and clear. He's not teaching us to not deal with sin when it affects us or other people around us. That is not what Jesus is saying. In saying, do not judge, he's calling his listeners to shift from the burdensome hypocrisy that was so clear and prevalent in many of the religious leaders of their day and the bad examples that they were used to. Jesus would rebuke the religious leaders and say, you're giving burdens that you will not lift a finger to help with. You're setting standards that you yourself are not able to keep and you're holding people under your hand as though they're less than you when you yourselves have this same kind of heart. This is what Jesus is getting at. And unconvicted and unyielded and unsurrendered hearts won't hear it. But Jesus continued to push. We are commanded not to judge when we have no purpose or responsibility to do so. It's like being a judge and you have no jurisdiction. It's like trying to be a judge and you're not one. 
It'd be like going into a courtroom and getting up on the stand in place of the judge because he wasn't there yet and rendering a verdict to someone when you weren't a judge. And this is what Jesus is actually saying, that we do not have the right to place a verdict, a pronouncement of guilt and condemnation in a place where we do not have a jurisdiction to do so. He's being very serious. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus because this really gets to the heart of what uh, gets to the heart of a person. He said, do not judge. That is about as imperative as it gets from the Son of God to our hearts. But he's not saying parents and coaches and teachers and police officers and employers and pastors are not supposed to make judgments or determinations about right or wrong behavior. We can't mix this up and act like he meant everything, like it was just this big stew and all of the issues of life and all the situations of life sort of go in that and Jesus was addressing everything. He wasn't. He was saying, do not render a judgment of finality, of identity on a person. Because that's for God to do. And obviously there were people in that time that were doing just that. But then he says something else, doesn't he? And this is at the very end of this passage. He says, exercise good judgment. When we judge, we must do so with humility and not hypocrisy. He says, why do we pay attention to the sawdust in one another's and another person's eye when we have the plank in our own? What he's doing is he's drawing the attention to the reality of our humanity. Why do you pay so much attention to what's going on in someone else's life and you're so blind to what's going on in your own life? And that really is a a great question. Why is it that we're so predisposed toward judging other people? He brings up a great question. When we judge, it must have purpose. Remember what he says? First, take the log out of your own eye and then what? You can see clearly. Then you actually have the ability to properly and righteously determine what you're really looking at. Did you know that you don't just judge with your eyes, but you truly judge with your heart? The way we see a situation is not just with physical eyes, but it is the heart as well. Are we willing to look behind what we just see with our physical eyes? I've said this to you in the weeks past, and I'm going to bring it back up, but when we look at people out on the street or whatever, and I've even seen this and dealt with this before because I've been in prisons, and I've been on the streets, and I've, I've not been in prison, by the way. I have ministered in prisons. <laughs> but even if I had, okay, I'm redeemed and set free in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. But I've sat with a lot of people, you know, and, and I'm able to hear their heart. God's helped me to understand what compassion really means. Compassion, love looks like something. It sounds like something, a listening ear. I'm able to see your heart. I'm able to see God's redemption in your life. And I don't see you just through the eyes of what you once did. And we all want that to be true, but it's hard for us to practice the very same thing that we want for ourselves when it is something that affects us. Isn't that the truth? We're predisposed towards judging. I'd say we're good at it. Sometimes I'm a professional. I own stock on Critical Avenue. Real estate. He goes on to say, Don't give what is holy to the dogs. Don't cast your pearls before swine. He's saying you need to have discernment and what you're saying and when you're saying it. Actually, you need to be able to judge rightly. So on one hand, he says don't judge. And on another hand, he's saying you need to judge wisely. You need to exercise righteous judgment. And the only way that we can do that is through humility. The only way that we can actually see things accurately is when we have humility before God. The religious leaders did not have humility before God. 
and he was provoking them entirely. The crux of the issue is that Jesus does call us to abandon a judgmental heart, but at the same time, we do need to know what it means to discern in the life that we live, in the world that we have. Prior to this moment in the Sermon on the Mount, he had been contrasting between the things that happen on the outside and are a manifestation of what's on the inside. Jesus continued to bring forth this truth, and the truth was this. What's in your heart is going to come out of you. So he always dealt with the heart. If you have a judgmental heart, it's going to come out of your mouth, out of the abundance of your mouth, or your heart, your mouth speaks. And I love it when we say these kinds of things, because you've said them and I've said them, like, oh, I didn't really mean that. (laughs) Yes, you did. (laughs) Have you ever had a conversation with somebody, and in your head, this conversation that you were about to have went over real well? And then when you started having it, all of a sudden you realize, like, I don't think I'm fully agreeing with what I'm saying right now. You want to know why? Because your mindset has now all of a sudden come into accountability. And the reason that we actually have to talk to one another, have conversations with one another, and listen to each other so that we can have righteous judgment, the reason we have to have compassion and love in our hearts to go the extra mile and to really hear what's going on is because when we start to have dialogue and we talk to one another, even our own words, our own heart is accountable. You've had this happen to you. You've said things, and as it's coming out of your mouth, your mind is going, that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. Actually, it's what was in your heart, and you didn't realize it until it became accountable. Once it comes into the light, it's exposed. Dare I say that we get exposed in those very moments. Married couples say amen. Amen. Single people say amen. amen. Don't think I miss you, single people. You go through it just as much. What are the sources of a judgmental heart? Well, I'm glad you asked. The first one is, and I'm saying we might be. I've changed my notes around because I'm not saying we are. I'm going to say we might be. This might be you. It might not be you. But number one, we might be prideful. This is where we think highly of ourselves in one way or another. We think we're better than other people. That's kind of scary, but I suppose some folks have that. Self-righteousness is a profound pride that allows for arrogance and ignorance, In the context of our passage, we know the religious leaders modeled this, and Jesus actually in Luke 18, 9 gives us a very clear picture of what pride really looks like. You'll see it on the screen. It's in your notes, and this is what it says in Luke 18, verse 9, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector right here. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but he was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. You'll notice one person in this story is self-aware and the other one's not. That's pride. That's pride. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself. And here's the issue of humility. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. He gets to the crux of this whole thing. The Pharisee judged the other man because he thought that he was better than him, because he knew more, because he had a different stature, he had a different place, he was in the, diff- the pecking order of religion, he was higher up. And that's really what we do as well. The more Bible sometimes we know, which by the way, I want you to know your Bible. 
But sometimes we think, I know more, therefore I am more. And that is a lie. We want to know more, but knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And what God wants to do is build us up in his love so that we can actually give that away to other people. And it starts on the inside of us. It's why we have to get a hold of our pride. You know what pride is? Pride is the armor of hell. Pride is the armor of hell. It keeps bad things inside and it keeps the good stuff out. It can't penetrate. Pride is the armor of hell. We have to humble ourselves if we're ever going to receive anything that God wants to do in our life. It has to come through humility. We can receive it, but we've got to humble ourselves. We cannot be God. We have to humble ourselves to God, and he will give us what we need. He will restore our hearts. He will help us to love people. Self-righteous people are not self-aware because if they were, they would see their own sin. And let me say this to you about pride. And uh, I've owned some stock here myself, so I'll just go ahead and say that to you. Prideful people don't merely judge to condemn others, but they judge to elevate themselves. It's not just about keeping the little guy down, it's about making me feel better. Because we, we really, that self-inflation, I want to be somebody, I want to be something, that is the devil's lie. The devil wanted to be greater than God. I think humanity's struggle is that we want to be our own God. And this is really the struggle that we sometimes face. Even as Christians, I think it subtly creeps in and tries to get a hold of us. We sometimes call that religious pride. What? There's more. Number two, we might be jealous. We see someone else getting ahead and we criticize them internally or verbally. And jealousy is a deadly sin because it has a cascade effect in causing other people to sin as well. I want to share with you a proverb, 27, uh, Proverbs 27, verse 4. And this is what it says. This is a very interesting passage. Wrath is fierce and anger is a flood. Remember we talked about anger last week? Secondary emotion, that response that can come out of us unchecked. But who can stand before jealousy? When we're jealous of someone else, of what they have or what they are or what we see, there is literally nothing that person can do to take away our jealousy because they didn't do anything to us to begin with. We see what someone has. We see their gifting or maybe they're getting ahead or maybe that person's where I want to be. Maybe I see someone and they're where I want to be. And so I look at that person and it makes me feel bad. And so the only response that I have is, well, you know what? We start cutting them down. Well, you know, that person's not as good as people think they are. They don't know as much as they ought to know. And all we do is we start to cut them down in order to build ourselves up. But you know, it's like building a sandcastle. You build yourself up that way, it's just going to blow over eventually. <laughs> you can't build life on sand, with sand. It doesn't work. But that's what we can do at times because jealousy, no one can stand before jealousy. It's that powerful. It's just an issue of the heart. You don't have to offend me. You don't have to look meanly at me. You don't have to say anything bad about me. It's just something about you that I want, that I think I should have, and it causes me to feel the way that I do. You know, jealousy's written, all, it's all throughout the Bible. We see the story of Joseph. He's got the pretty coat. I want a pretty coat. And his brothers are jealous. They end up, trying to kill him. And then one negotiates, let's throw him in a pit and sell him, which is still bad. <laughs> that was the negotiation. Let's not kill him, let's sell him. Well, we all think of that brother a little better, but he's still bad, ladies and gentlemen. 
Cain killed Abel. I mean, you see, from the beginning, jealousy is just ridden throughout the Bible, but it's ridden throughout the story of humanity. We do get jealous. In fact, as a pastor, I don't have a lot of people come into my office and say, Pastor Ben, I'm really struggling with jealousy. I just, I just have this deep-seated lust after what people have and what they are. It just, I don't get that confession very often, but I, I have this suspicion that it's something that we struggle with very deeply. I think hand over heart, being honest, I think it's something that's really in the heart that God wants to deal with. And what it does is it causes us to judge people and look down on them so we can feel better about ourselves. When people are successful, we start to nitpick them. I think this even comes out theologically as well. You know, it's like people do this with folks that are in ministry. We do this in jobs and workplaces. Somebody just gets promoted or whatever, and we just start cutting them down, right? Their performance, and they're not that good. And I just want to ask you a question. Is that the heart of a Christian? I'm not asking us, I'm not thinking that Jesus wants us to be blind to the, the issues that others really do have. But for what purpose do we see the issues that others have? Is it just to see the issues? Or is it to see clearly in order to remove sawdust? See, why would we want to see what's wrong in another person's life? It's so that we can help them. But the truth is, is if God's not, God doesn't have that access to our life, I hate to say it, but it's, we're not going to be that effective as ministers to the world around us. That's really true. Doesn't the world have the narrative that we're judgmental Christians? Don't you hear it all the time? I like saying back to people, aren't we all? <laughs> it's not funny, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> we are. We are. Number three, we might be offended. We've talked about this quite a bit. We get offended, we start judging people or what they represent. Maybe you've been hurt by a church, a parent, a man, a woman. It causes judgment. Maybe you've been hurt, maybe you're single, you've been hurt by married people. You know, that, that can happen as well. And maybe you're, um, I mean, it, this goes all over the place. One offense can have the power over how you see everything and everyone. Jesus said, when you have a plank in your eye, you can't help someone else with the sawdust. This is what it sounds like. All churches are after your money. That stuff comes out of our mouth. Out the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. All churches are after your money. All men are dogs. All women are controlling. Come on, somebody. I don't believe any of that. I'm just saying. We've heard all this stuff, and sometimes we say it. Where does it come from? Why do we make this generalization, these sweeping general statements I never try to like protect the church, but I always think it's very dangerous to talk about God's bride. When one individual wounds us at church, for example, and they all of a sudden have the power over how we see the entire body of Christ. Well, the church is, is uh, controlling, or the church is really judgmental, or the church is really, I mean, they're, they're after your money, or all of that stuff. When we hear that kind of stuff, it's so unhealthy. When in reality, what God is leading us toward is not to be his spokesman about how he sees his entire church. That, it, that, think about the profound arrogance that it is for us to speak about a billion people. Maybe it's a half a billion people. I'm not really sure. I'm, I, don't, I haven't taken the Christian census lately. 
500 million people, we make a sweeping statement. It's, it's so common in blogs today. And we read them like, yeah, that's so true. And all it does is, is it just turns the wheels of judgmentalism in our life. All the while, our hearts are getting harder and harder and harder and more callous when Jesus wants us to become more loving and more loving and more loving. But I'll tell you this, that's not the voice of our shepherd. The voice of our shepherd is not teaching us to put down people and places like that. We have to speak to people and deal with issues when they come up. And when we do that, we will find that we will actually have righteous judgment and discernment in our hearts. Our discernment will be razor sharp when we start to speak about issues and deal with them because God fills us with his love. We have to deal with offense. We have to keep short accounts. It's so important for us to do that. I'm a little stubborn in my own home when there's an issue sometimes. I'm just like, we are going to deal with this and we're not going to bed <laughs> until we deal with this. And I know I can't always force the issue, but it's so important that we keep short accounts. When we hurt a person, we tend to find, or we get hurt by someone, we tend to find fault with them and we judge them as a way of protecting ourselves from being hurt again, from being hurt again. Maybe we judge others, others because we felt rejected. Have you grown up or have you lived your life and you've ever felt rejected? Anybody? Yeah. I, I, let's just do that one more time. Who's felt rejected? Oh, my gosh. We should just start a big group, not a small group. <laughs> in fact, we have. It's called the church. Sometimes we feel rejected and a way of protecting ourselves is judging other people, Right? They can't be that happy. Everything can't be that good. They got private stuff going on that nobody sees. Well, what if they don't? Wouldn't that be a good thing? I think so. Number four, we might be biased. Maybe you were raised to see people a certain way. Your parents were racist, prejudiced, strongly opinionated about a particular people, or maybe even our politics. Am I going to go off on this for a second? I am. We're going back into a new year. 2020 is going to be something, and we're doing it together, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to have such a year. Let me prophesy. I'm going to give you a prophecy. It's going to be hostile. It's going to be tense. But it doesn't have to be that way among us. I'm going to make a lot of statements, and if you get offended, I want to talk to you about it. But I'm not here to be conservative or liberal. I'm here to be a follower of Christ. And sometimes you got to break party line. I'm debating right now. I want good politics and I want good politicians. I really do. But something that I saw in our last election cycle, something that I saw was these visceral reactions, this hostility, this tension. And I just thought to myself, this crazy thought in Ben Dixon's head was, I just think it's not supposed to be this way in the church. I just, I just have a dream in my heart that like Christians can make a point without making an enemy. That somehow we're supposed to shine the light. And the way that we do that best is to show everyone else that doesn't have what we have and know what we know and believe what we believe. We can show them there's a better way. And if we're filled with the Spirit of God, certainly that should be our way. I believe that. That's the dream that's in my heart. I think it's possible. I'm not selling you a wolf ticket. I'm not saying this because it sounds good. I actually believe it. 
I believe we don't have to be so tense, and I believe we can listen better than we did before, and we can ask people more questions than we've asked, and we can, we, we, we can come to a better place. But we just often don't, don't do that, do we? We're so quick to, uh, I, I mean, here's the, here's the reality. I'm, uh, this Saturday night, Pastor Craig, so I'm going to say a couple things. We get so offended when it comes to like politics and we want everyone to agree with us. And if they don't agree with, agree with us, it's like we're not together in this. I just, I don't agree. I don't agree. I'm gonna fight for us to be together in the words of Christ. I'm gonna fight for us to be together in the word of God. I'm gonna fight for us to be together in the mission of Christ. And sometimes that means I'm gonna break the line and, and we're gonna roll down the road and I know that some folks are gonna it is what it is. I, I got into plenty of uh, conversations, but I don't debate people. I just don't. I think it's, it can be so foolish, you know. I think there's, there's a way to show people something. Now, I speak very clearly. Let me, let, me, let me clear this up. I speak very clearly. I speak my heart. I speak my mind. I want you to know I'm not, I don't hold back. So if you ask me questions, I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. I don't, I don't think that a leader serves anybody by not being straight up. And there's a difference between the pulpit and the podium, okay? Some, some, conversations are better for the podium and not for the pulpit. The pulpit, we preach the word of God. And the podium, we have discussions. And sometimes we can have disagreements when we have those discussions at the podium. And we will have those, and I hope we have those together in a way where we can come together and pray for what God wants to do. But I can't, I hear things said like, I can't imagine how a Christian could be a Democrat, a Republican, a Libertarian. Those things will never come out of my mouth. I'm just letting you know up front, it's not 2020, but I'm prophesying to y'all, it's good. Maybe you were raised upper class and you have a fear of the lower class. Fear causes judgment, doesn't it? God called Israel to repent, and part of that was to begin caring for specific people. In Isaiah 117, he said, learn to do what is right. Seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Here's my question, is this what we're focused on? Are we focused on preaching the gospel of Jesus that restores men and women to the Father? Are we focused on helping the widow? Are we focused on the fatherless? Are we focused on defending the cause of those that need God's help? Are we focused on that? Are we doing that? Last week, I told you a story where I just simply walked up to Walmart and I had to deal with a situation and everybody around that situation was angry. And the same thing, we were just out here on 21st Avenue today, my family and I were taking a walk and somebody got into a really bad car accident. And you know what I saw? Ladies and gentlemen, I saw a dozen people get their phone out and start videotaping it. Nobody's trying to help anybody. But this is the world that we live in. The world that we live in, it's not just Christians, it's everybody. We're a part of a world that cares more about what our cyber stats are than the people that are in front of us. And so we don't have a problem debating and yelling at and getting mad and upset and angry. But what about Jesus in the midst of this? I have a mission. We have a mission. And that's to reach the lost and to disciple the found. That is our mission. We got to be razor sharp when it comes to the mission of Christ. Because it gets darker and darker and the light needs to shine brighter and brighter. What you want is you want a preacher, you want a pastor that is focused on the mission of Christ. You do. I was listening to a group of young people. This is how we, we can be biased. That's my point in case you missed me on that. We can be biased. I was at a coffee shop and I was listening to a group of young people. And uh, 
I don't remember how old they were. I'm guessing they were like 18 to 20, somewhere in there. And there, were, there was a whole table of them. And there was a young man, and I want you to hold your breath here for a second. I know what you're going to say. He was like just going off on old people. Just, they were just talking so bad about old people or, you know, whatever, annoying, slow, smelly, I, you name it. That's what, I heard it all. I'm just being, being straight up with you. I heard these guys at this table, at this coffee shop, saying all those kinds of things. And Ben Dixon sometimes cannot help himself. <laughs> God is my witness, all right? Walked up to the table, and I looked at him, and I said, hey, guys, one day you're going to be old, too. And the dude tried to debate with me, right? Even then, I, was, I wish the story ended with me dropping the mic. It didn't. He tried, tried to come at me. It was awesome. But you know what? The same thing can happen. Young people could say this about old people, but I say older people, older people, older than young. When I, first, when I went to my first men's gathering at, at a previous church, I was 24 years old. I entered into a new career. I had to lay down vocational ministry. I just became a new husband. I was now a new father at 24 of a 9 and 11-year-old, step boys, just like I told you. I went to the men's breakfast. And I want older guys, I want you to, to hear this. And, and, and if the shoe fits when I say older, you know, kick it off and be young. I don't know. Do something different. Anyhow, my first gathering at, my, at a previous church, I walked up to, the, everybody said, you got to come, you got to come to this men's gathering. So I went to the men's gathering, I shook the guy's hand at the door, he said, hey, how old are you? I said, 24. He said, you're just a baby. <laughs> and I looked at him and I thought, of all the metaphors that you could use, <laughs> of all the stages of life that you, could, that you could speak about and put as a label onto Ben Dixon, you just chose to go straight for the diapers? You just bypass toddler? You just, teenager, can I be tween? I mean, can you? I got a nine and 11 year old at home, mister. And, I, you, and you could say to me, you could say to me, well, Ben, that's not what he meant. But guys, this is the first meeting that I went to. And this is what an older guy said to me. You're a baby. You know, what it says to a, uh, you know what it says to a younger person? You're insignificant. You don't have value here. And we're glad you're here so that we can help you. That's what, it's, that's what I felt like. And then when you say that, people will say, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. As if it, does, it can't get worse. But here's my point. Isn't it amazing how there can be biased perspectives and generations? You know what God wants to do in this whole room? Look, this room is a beautiful room. We've got all kinds of diversity in this room. What a beautiful thing that God wants to do. In the church, God wants to bring us all together. This is exactly what the Lord wants to do. I'm committed to that. That every person, whether you're young, whether you're old, has value. And where you feel like that's not true for a different generation or even for your own, the fact is it's not true. God wants each one of us to play a role in his church, no matter what part that really is. And we got to start speaking well of one another. Now, I'm not saying that we need to tell people that they are what they're not, but we don't speak down to one another. We don't speak these judgments. And even if they're jokes, they're not funny. You might hurt someone and they'll never come back. I, I'll never forget. I was in a small group one time and I saw a guy open up. The first time I was working with this guy, I was discipling him. I was a youth pastor and I was so excited to get this guy to our small group. And we were a small church, so we really only had one small group. <laughs> it's called our church. It's great. 
So I brought him to our group, and he, for the first time in his life, he opened up about something of his heart. And I'll never forget, there was a person across sitting on a, on a couch, and they said, hey, we don't want to hear about that right now. I couldn't get that guy back to a group for my life. I just thought, how foolish was that? And you know why I'm saying this? Not because I'm mad that that happened, although I was upset, and I had to deal with it through my last sermon. (laughs) What I'm saying is, is that we've got to grab a hold of those things that come out of us because unless we see through the, with the eyes of Jesus, the, with the heart of Christ, we're going to be making all these mistakes all over the place. But let's not be fooled. It's coming out of our hearts. I'll never say anything about millennials or Generation Z. In fact, you know what I'm saying? I can't wait to see what God does in the millennials. I can't wait to see what God does in Generation Z. In fact, we prophesy that Generation Z and the millennial generation will be a holy generation and they will carry the purposes of God. That's what I believe. And I believe that the older generation is going to do the same thing. But you know what? We got to do it together. I don't know how I got off on that, but we can be biased and what happens is we have judgments towards one another and this stuff comes out of our mouth and it's foolishness and we never know the effect or the impact that it's going to have on someone else it might send them into a tailspin and then never come back and it's not helpful number five we might be influenced by cultural opinions i could go on and on and on about this but i won't you know it it's true number six let me just say this we might be judgmental if we're going to play the game number one We might be judgmental if we blow small things out of proportion. We're gracious towards ourselves and we're harsh on other people. Okay, we might maximize the sins of others while minimizing our own sins. That's unhealthy. We come to quick negative conclusions about people or situations. You know, it's the guilty until, until proven innocent. All right, that's not even the standard of the world. It's innocent until proven guilty. Not saying that the Justice system always practices that, but that's at least the standard that's supposed to be set. We take up someone else's offense without question or consideration. Some of the most unhealthy discernment is where somebody tells us what happened, and we automatically take up their perspective and hold an offense. Now, again, it doesn't solve every question that we might have when it comes to abusive situations or otherwise, but if we get involved, we find that there are always two sides to a story. We pass along stories about other people that tear them down. Right, We just sort of forward or we retweet something that a, another person has told us about a person's reputation. It's incredibly unhealthy. It's very judgmental. We, we make critical comments about people without any purpose at all. This is gossip. Why do we need to make any statements at all? Like, What is it about us where we have to say things when we're, they're not necessary to be said? And what I'm trying to do in this message as we look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 6, is, is here through 6, is here what Jesus says, do not judge. It's a difference between identity and behavior. If my, one of my children lies, of course they've never done that before. A couple of them are here. If one of my children lies, do you think it would be appropriate for me to call them a liar? Is that a yes or no? Okay, I was sure if you guys were negotiating. <laughs> no, it's not appropriate. Why? Because they lied, but it isn't their identity. All right, this is what Jesus is like. 
If that were true, if we were what our behavior says, and that forever is the case, that's our label, that's a definitive label on each one of us, none of us would be here and none of us would have redemption in our view. It just wouldn't be possible. We would forever and always be whatever it is that we did. And Jesus wants to take the labels off. And he wants Christians to be people that take labels off of people instead of put them on. I had this picture in my mind. I don't know if this is going to work out, Pastor Craig. I don't know if this is going to work out, but... I had this, I'm not going to call it a vision because then I'm putting God's name on it. But I had this picture in my mind. And I, I saw someone write labels like liar or, or cheat or whatever and just, and just walk up behind people and put the label on and just kind of walk away. Right? Just putting labels on people. And it's, it's how they saw them. And they're walking around with this label like liar. I was even going to do it. I was going to bring some labels and start labeling a couple of you, you know. <laughs> like if you fall asleep, asleep. No, I'm just, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Nobody's asleep. If you do have a dream, though, from the Lord, that would be powerful. <laughs> oh, Lord, showed me something. But I, was just, I saw this other picture. Obviously, this is unhealthy. It's not what we want to do. But then I thought about, you know, you don't do that when you're looking someone in the eyes, do you? You write that same thing and you walk up to them and put it on their chest. <laughs> Changes the game, doesn't it? We don't label people the same way when we have to do it looking at their eyes where they see what we're doing, because then it says something about us. We do it in secret. I'm just going to label someone, bam, that's who they are. But Jesus in full view, I mean, he just looks at us, he looks at us in the eyes with all of our sin, and he dies on the cross for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He looks at us in the face, and he rips the label off and says, if you want to have a relationship with the Father, come to me, and I'll take that label right off of you. And then he wants his followers to go and do the same thing. Again, I'm not saying we don't deal with behavior, but how good are we at taking labels off of people and looking them in the face and saying, you do not have to be what you've done. You do not have to be identified and defined by the sins of your past because there's somebody that paid a price and he'll give you the power to be new and to live different. This is the hope of the gospel and this is what we bring to the world. We do it first in our own lives. And secondarily, we do it by bringing this very same message to the people all around us. They want to know, is it possible? They want to know. One day, we wanted to know as well. You might be judgmental if you don't receive criticism well from other people, or you cut off people that disagree with you. We refuse to forgive others or give them another chance, and we size people up and write them off as hopeless. This is judgmentalism at its finest. And this is what the world claims that Christians are. Well, I don't think this is what Christians are, but I think we can struggle with it. And I think the Lord wants to deal with it. But how do we deal with it? The path to relinquishing a judgmental heart, abandoning the judgmental heart. Number one is we've talked about this every week. We acknowledge that we can be judgmental. We have to own it. We cannot celebrate it by saying things like, have you ever said this? I've actually said this before. You know, I just kind of, I'm just kind of critical sometimes. sometimes I'm, just, I'm just a little critical. It's like, do you, do you celebrate that or? I'm not, I'm n- now that I have owned this in my life, I, I hear it differently. Like I don't think it's a healthy thing to be critical or to be judgmental. So when I hear that, I don't say it to people because then that would be me judging them for being judgmental. So I just preach it in sermons. 
Change begins right where we are. First step, watch Manish said this in one of his books, the first step of deliverance is awareness. That's the first step in deliverance. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be where you are in five years from now? So what needs to happen? What needs to happen? Take, takes awareness though, doesn't it? When we come humbly before God, he says in James, I think it says it in 1 Peter as well, God gives grace to the humble, but the humble got to be, if, if the humble are anything, they're honest. If the humble are anything, they're honest. I don't think humble people walk around with an inferiority complex, like, I'm a terrible person. Everybody's better than me. That's not humility. Sometimes we look at folks and they're just very timid and we think they're very humble. Humility is more of action than it is just this like disposition that we can see on the outward. I think there are a lot of really humble people that you and I probably wouldn't say are humble because they really, in moments where it matters, they actually come under the hand of God. And we look at them and they go, that person's super arrogant. But in reality, God can give them crazy amounts of grace because when it matters most, they humble themselves before the hand of the Lord. They're the ones that go to people and say, you know what, I really blew it. Maybe they're the one to fly off at the handle, but they actually are behind the scenes going to someone and saying, you know what, I did that wrong. I'm really, really sorry, and I'm going to try to never do that again. While other people maybe never say anything, but in their mind, in their heart, they're like, well, you know, hope they can get it together. What about when we hear testimonies? Somebody comes up and says, God broke... God broke through in my life and I've been freed from alcoholism or I've been free from drug addiction. Let me ask you if this question ever looms in your mind. Hope it sticks. Is that really, do you understand what I'm saying? This is a hard thing. Instead of God, may your keeping power be ever with them. Do you see the difference in disposition? Somebody says, God has set me free of something. One person is like, well, you know, it's not always the way it's going to stay. Or the other person is like, yes, God, I pray that you would move powerfully day by day by day. Thank you for your sanctifying power. Thank you for the work of the Spirit in their life. And you start to commit to pray for that. I'm, I'm just saying we can't walk away and act like we're not a part of this. And that's what isolation will do. That's what this individualism that we're so accustomed to in our, in our generation and culture will do. We can separate ourselves from people and act like it's not our problem, when in reality, it is our problem. We are each other's problem. I am my brother's keeper. Okay. Number two, we choose to live in repentance before God, true surrender, full surrender, a person who lives before God in repentance understands what others are going through, what it feels like, what it looks like, and they become a competent and capable counselor. This is reality. Number three is we ask God for the healing that we need. If you have a judgmental heart, ask God. I don't believe, there's inner healing that I'm not, I don't, I don't have time for this. There's inner healing that I think is unhelpful and there's inner healing that really brings healing. I don't think we should induce vomiting, you know, I mean, like dig around in the old bones, but I do think we ask the Holy Spirit, is there something that you're getting at that you are working on in me? And I'm just missing, maybe I'm just blind to it. Will you help me see that and discard it and deal with it? I believe 80% of deliverance is discipleship. We're not looking for pixie dust here. 
One miraculous moment does not necessarily change the full trajectory of our life. It can, but we have to stay true to the words and the ways of Jesus if we're going to keep our deliverance. It's fact. You can't just have a miraculous moment. When I pray for people, for the miraculous of God to touch them, you can look at stories in the Bible, one after another. When God moved in power in someone's life, sometimes they go right back where a dog returns to its own vomit. Why? Because we can still harbor and heed those old ways in our life. And when we do that, we return back to the thing that God miraculously delivered us from. I know this. I was in deliverance ministry long enough to realize that what a lot of people are looking for is pixie dust. They don't want to get up early in the morning and read their Bible and pray and seek the face of God. They don't really want to have this relationship with God that causes self-denial and sacrifice and pressing into the mission where other people are actually going to know that we're Christians and we're identified by the Christ that we follow. But that is why we preach all or nothing. It's why I preach all in because I know if I don't faithfully convey to the people of God that we've got to put our whole life into the person and work of Jesus Christ, I know that, that Monday's coming and Tuesday's coming and Wednesday's coming and all of a sudden they get knocked down and knocked off their rocker and, and, and life's all of a sudden not as exciting as it once was. I'm not a Pentecostal because I want more exciting church services and I love the glory bumps Sometimes people go to me, they go, did you feel that? And I go, no, I didn't feel, any, I didn't feel anything. Did you, did you feel something? What happened? I don't always feel stuff. It's what I know. Why? Because I was in his word this morning. I was writing in my journal about 2 Kings 25 and Jeremiah 40, and it, it was quite a trip. But anyhow, it was, I was in the word. I was in prayer. I was asking him to help me. And this is, this is what we have to be doing. And when I'm doing that, God brings things up in my life. And when he brings things up, I lay hold of that. Lord, bring healing into my heart. Help me, Lord. I don't want to judge other people. I need that healing so that I can help other people and be part of your solution in the world. Amen. And number four is we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with his love for all people. And that's the whole John 3, 16, 17. Hey, I brought something with me real quick here. I'm going to show you. Don't you love these props? Just wonderful. Last week it was an apple. But I bought this on Amazon. You know what this is? Court is in session. It's a funny little thing, isn't it? We need to learn to put this thing down. Like really, we need to be people that take labels off others and we put the gavel down and we take up a love mental heart in place of a judgmental heart. And I'll tell you what, if we learn to do that, Jesus will use us in powerful ways. You may say to me, well, Ben, I don't have a lot of knowledge. Jesus will use you in powerful ways right where you are if we can learn to put down the gavel and take up his love. I remember back when I first got saved, I was leading more people to Christ then than I am now. Why? Because I was consumed with the love of God. All I knew was I was dead and now I'm alive. And I remember walking into church sometimes and I just felt like I didn't belong because I didn't have this and I didn't have this and I didn't know this and I didn't know this. And the reality is we're all on a journey to know God and make him known in the world that we live in. But sometimes things happen in our life and we have these issues like being judgmental and we don't deal with them. And you can put a bookmark into the development of your life when God brings an issue up and we choose not to deal with it. 
He just wants to take the bookmark out, deal with that so that we can go on this healing journey of becoming more like Christ because that is our desire. And when being like Jesus is your desire, when it's my desire, what happens is we never fully reach it. And so every day we're reaching into the grace of God so that we can see people the way he sees people, that we can engage the world the way he engaged the world, and we'll put our reputation, we'll stake our reputation on it. I'm not worried about what other people think. I stand before a holy God. And I want to do so in a way where he says, well done, good and famous servant. (laughs) Somebody knows the word up in here. I know that too. I'm following Dr. Steve Schell. All eyes on me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. What does that look like? Looks like being like Jesus, don't you think? Let's put down the gavel. Let's put down the gavel and take up his love. Father, we thank you tonight for your love. We thank you for what you're doing in Northwest Church. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to relinquish a judgmental heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray that you would fill us with your love, that you would flow through us to the world around us, that what we have in you would not stay on this property, but it would flow freshly and fully in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our world, and everywhere we go. Because it's who you are, and it's who you are in an unrestricted way through us. So we thank you, Lord, that you'd give us righteous judgment, but you would also help us to take the log out of our own eyes so that we could see clearly to help others with the sawdust. We thank you, Lord, for working in and through us in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Will you stand to your feet and let me give you, I'm calling this the Ben Addiction. I'm just having fun with you, really. But As you go, this is a great commission benediction. Be strengthened by God's word. Be filled with God's spirit. Be mindful of God's voice. Be focused on his mission as we bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. Amen to that? Amen. Amen.